Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to get started this morning, and uh, oh, before I do, though, I just want to remind us that uh, next week, say next week, so we had some stuff switch around. Who's speaking next week? Does anyone know? Guy Henry, see, he caught it, man. He caught the change. Uh, we, Dr. Carl has actually, I think he might be here with us, but Guy Henry was able to come in and be with us. So Guy Henry will be speaking next week. And then July 16th, we have Dr. Carl coming in to speak. And I'm pretty sure it's pretty solid. I'd have to look at my text and see if I had any further text here. But I know Reverend Michael Lusk is going to be with us as well um, in July and July 9th. That's the day, July 9th. So we'll have that, uh, you know, in our opening video, and we'll be advertising that on Facebook. So some great guest speakers, you know, just different flavors. And, and what I love is that we all, we all would, would say we don't agree 100% on everything theologically, which I think is beautiful because it means we're not robots, right? We do believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Uh, we believe in this new life that Jesus has given us. We believe in awakening to this new life that Jesus has already provided for us. But we all have these different experiences in life. And so you think about uh, Dr. Carl, years in ministry and speaking all around the world. You, you think about Guy Henry, who has given you know 30-plus years to ministry, uh, actually probably closer to 40-ish, but almost 30 years just in Honduras and really changing a nation through these medical brigades and uh, through, you know, uh, setting up over 100 churches and pastors and training leaders and education, educating those who actually are Hondurans, you know, the people there so they can have a life. They don't have to live a poor life, but also imparting the gospel into them. And then, Michael Lusk, who a lot of you maybe don't have maybe the same opportunity to hear what I hear. You have the newsletters and stuff, but to hear from him what's going on. And I also edit most of their, their uh, work. And we just did a, a new video um, of an update for Benin, which he'll be showing in different congregations when he goes. But to just go through that footage as I'm editing and seeing people healed uh, of deafness and blindness and limbs is just like, this is just so cool to see this happen. And so... These are different people who've experienced these different parts of life but believe in Jesus, and it's so great when they're able to share with us. So I encourage you to, when you come, be, be open, be hungry, be ready to listen because they have a different perspective than, than I would or Pete would, you know, or Tom would or Aaron would. There's just different perspectives, and so it's awesome. But last week, say last week, have you repeat after me because it keeps you with me. Last week, Pete preached a message. Did anyone hear that? Man, wasn't it powerful? It was so good. It was called Healing for Your Feelings. And I really encourage you to check it out. If you have not heard it, or even if you have, check it out again. You can check it out on our podcast. If you have Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to our I don't know if it's called a channel or what it is there, but our podcast. And uh, you can get those. Those are usually up, usually the next day or two after uh, the initial message. But also, you can go on to YouTube. We broadcast live stream on YouTube and also Facebook. You can go back into the Facebook feed and find it there. Um, I had someone the other day say, oh, you're on YouTube? I can play it through there? I'm like, yeah. And they said, well, I'm on there and I can't find it. Here's the trick. I say, there's a trick? Yeah, there's trickery involved. Here's the trick. When you go to someone's page, if you subscribe and hit the bell, it's going to notify you, right? I mean, has anyone ever watched a YouTuber and they, they always say, make sure to subscribe and hit the notification bell, right? But if you go into the, the channel and you see the channel, you'll see videos. You won't see these because they're live streams. You have to click live. So if you hit live, you'll see the list. And we've got, I mean, since 2020, I think. We have an archive there, so you can check stuff out. So I encourage you to check that out because it was really powerful. And as I was meditating this week on Pete's message, it really brought me to one of the portions of Scripture uh, that he used, and it's in the first letter of John. And so I want to kind of break some stuff down here, and I want us to begin, because one thing that Pete said that was so powerful is he said, listen, in Christ you're 100%. Say, I'm 
And I know that's really hard. It's really hard. He had us repeat after him, and I think he said something like, say, I am perfect, or I am without fault. And I'm like, I said it. And even as I said it, I was like, whoa, did I just say that? Like, it's, it's hard sometimes to say things like that. But it really got me to thinking about this portion of Scripture. And how many know this? You know, when, when you read a portion of Scripture, it's great to have Bible verses on, on T-shirts and bumper stickers. But a lot of times when we pull one out, it's usually out of context. There's nothing wrong with using as a life application. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as you go to the football game. Okay, that's, that's great, right? Western thinking. But that wasn't what Paul was saying. And so although that's not wrong, there is a correct way to try our best to interpret what's being said. So the person who is writing this letter or, or, or capturing maybe an event and putting it into words, they're born in a specific time. They have a specific way of thinking, and they're writing because they're inspired to write, I believe, by Holy Spirit, but sometimes even to particular people, not you. And I've said this before, that when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wasn't writing to you in 2023, in 2022, in 1984. He was writing to them in that time. And so we have to have an understanding of what's going on in culture at the time. When we do, and then we begin to dig up the you know, ancient languages that were spoken, we begin to see things become, become more in focus. Aaron and I have been talking about this lately, that when you read through this lens of God's love, that God is for us and not against us, when you begin to see things according to the culture and who wrote it, and why they wrote it in the original language, it begins to change your paradigm, doesn't it? And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes shifting isn't easy, especially if you've grown up years in denominations. And listen, I have nothing against denominations, but I am totally for the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. And so we do our best here. We say we're non-denominational. I heard one, heard one comedian say, oh, you're non-denominational. Basically, that's Baptist with a cool website. I thought that was kind of funny. See, you can laugh at that stuff if you don't get defensive about your denomination, right? And so we we can get so caught up in that. But I want to talk today about sin. Say sin. The sin problem. There is a problem with sin. Now, usually preachers start to point out the sins that they think that you should or shouldn't do, right? Or hopefully not should do, but that you shouldn't do. These are the sins you should do. Okay, I'm leaving this church right now. But... I want to look at this according to what John writes here. And Pete was referring to the first letter of John. John has three different letters. They were written to the churches in Asia Minor. And just a little background here. um, These were written to these churches, and it was a corporate letter. And so you had these clusters of churches all around Asia Minor at the time. And the uh, Apostle John is writing them. And it's churches just like today. There's many people with many different walks of life. They're all on a journey. I mean, you have Jews, you have Greeks, you have people who have served other gods. I mean, there's just this really wild, you know, kind of uh, cluster of people that you normally wouldn't expect. That's why I said this morning with communion, if we think about this in ancient times, it was a meal to bring people together to find some unity in faith that, that we all love Jesus and we're all on a journey. And it's so beautiful because we come from all these different backgrounds and walks of life. Now, scholars believe that the Apostle John was probably in his 80s, some even say 90s at this time. And so I like to refer at this time to John as Grandpa John. You know, I'm picturing a grandpa. How many know this, that when someone gets to a certain age, they can kind of just say whatever and they don't get in trouble for it. Isn't that kind of wild? Like, did they just say that? What are we going to say to them? They're 85, right? It just happens. But when you read, and this is what I want us to get, when you read these letters, Grandpa John, he doesn't waste any time with introductions or personal greetings. Like there's literally no, you know, grace and peace beyond you. No, it gets right to the point. You can feel this very serious and concerned tone in the letter. His main concern, say main concern, is false teachers. See, the Gnostics were infiltrating. Now, Paul had his deal with the Judaizers, but in this region, the Apostle John was really dealing with Gnosticism, these Gnostics who were coming in. And so what was happening 
is people were leaving the church in search of more. Say more. See, people wanted more than just Jesus. They wanted more than just the gospel. Can I say something? This still happens today. Because when you preach the gospel simple, some people are like, man, I need something deeper. What's deeper than the divine died for you because he loves you and wants you to participate in relationship? That's pretty deep. But see, as humans, we're used to doing, doing, doing. So we're looking for, no, there's got to be more to this. And so this teaching would, would entice people to say, okay, well, Jesus is great. You know, with the Judaizers, like, Jesus is great. Man, you, you mix a little law in there, extra good. No, it isn't. I heard a preacher once say that he loved brownies. Well, if you mix a little dog poop in with the brownies, it doesn't make them better, right? Even if you don't see it, even if you don't smell it, even if you don't know what's in there. It's not the best, right? And so when we try to mix our own stuff in with Jesus, we start to get mixed up. In fact, it's called mixture, right? And so the main point that we see in these letters he was writing, he would include this phrase, so that. I'm writing you this so that. And the major so that was so that we could experience fellowship or divine relationship with God. Now, some scholars believe that John could have been a teenager when he began to follow Jesus. And if he's 80 or 90 now, that's a lot of years. We're talking maybe a minimum of 70 years of following Jesus. Yes, physically, you know, for, for some time, but following him and gaining wisdom and gaining insight and gaining knowledge. And so he started these churches. He established these churches. He put pastors in. He's beginning to hear that people are coming in and changing the gospel. Do you kind of feel what's going on here because of this Gnosticism? So John, Grandpa John, we could even say the best friend of Jesus, at least according to John, because in his own gospel, at least five times he says the disciple whom Jesus loved. So I don't think he was being arrogant. I really believe he had this connection with Jesus. And so John, the best friend of Jesus, is wanting us to have the same close friendship and relationship with God because he continues writing. Let's pick up here in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, we're getting somewhere. Verse 5. He says, now the message, say the message. Now, this is what established the church, right? His me- the messages that the apostles were preaching, including him. He says, now the message that we have heard from his son, which they also were continuing to announce, and announces this. What is it? God is what? Light. God is light, and there is no darkness at all in him. Now, that alone is a powerful statement. God is complete light. There's no darkness at all. Verse 6, if then we say that we have fellowship with him, yet at the same time live in darkness, ooh, listen to this, we are lying both in our words and in our actions. Now, if you haven't picked up on it yet, John isn't pulling any punches. John is serious. He's speaking like a parent, or we can even say like a grandfather in his latter years. In fact, if you, if you look at the entire New Testament, Excuse me. If you look at the entire New Testament, in the original language, there's 5,437 vocabulary words that are used. 5,437. John, in all three of his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, will only use 303 of those 5,437 vocabulary words. He's not mixing words. He's very repetitive. There's a lot of redundancy. Why? To drive his point home. I want to be clear, and I want to be direct. Verse 7. But if we live in the light, just as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies, or we could say cleanses us from every sin. Say every sin. Now, this next, get this next verse. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and there is no truth in us. In other words, you lie. But if we confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our wrongdoing. If we say that we have not sinned, 
we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, let me say this. It's really important that we understand ancient language here. Because I used to read this stuff, and I would get into fear. I would be full of anxiety. I've already told you this before, but I, I used to, every night when I went to bed, especially as a teenager, because how many of those teenagers were perfect? As a teenager, I would lay in bed, and I would have this prayer. This was my prayer. You can laugh if you want to. It would be, Lord, forgive me of, and I would go through the whole list I could remember, like I would rack my brain for any, any sin. And then I would say, and if there's anything I've forgotten, a sin of omission, forgive me, Lord. Why? Because I was afraid. Now, I'm just sharing my story. Maybe you've had the luxury of being like, man, God's not like that. No, I get it now, but then I didn't. And so, like, every day was this, this fear and this worry because what if I was sleeping in the middle of the night, Jesus came back, and I didn't confess a sin? I'd be stuck here with everyone else, man. They'd all be raptured out. <laughs> I mean, these are just the thoughts you think, right? And then you read the, you know, you read the Left Behind series, which, by the way, is Christian fiction for a reason. We won't get into eschatology today. But my point is I would live in fear because I would read verses like this that are translated in English language, and it would, it would seem and feel like it's saying a certain thing. And how many know that Pastor Andy's going to dig in today and he's going to help us see some things, at least according to the original language, which I believe will relieve you of that fear. You know, John also said that there's no fear in love. So if we understand the love of God, fear is gone. It's that perfect love that casts out fear. It hurls it away. It cannot abide. Fear and love cannot abide in the same area. Does that make sense? So I truly believe that Jesus calls us into real relationship with him. He doesn't call us to religion or rules or rituals or good morals, but he calls us to life-changing, real and intimate fellowship. In fact, this word fellowship in the original language, the Greek is koinonia, say koinonia. And it means close, intimate relationship. This is what John has invited the churches to. This is the message that they spoke. God wants to have intimate relationship with you. Not, oh, yeah, 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 I heard about God. Or, yeah, yeah, um, I heard a message about that. Or, yeah, yeah, I kind of know that. It's an acquaintance thing. No, no, no. Intimate relationship that's close. And this is John's desire for us and the desire of God for all mankind. Say all. God desires all mankind. An interesting fact about these letters is that one out of every three verses shares the concept of love. Think about this. So even though John is fiery, John is to the point John is not pulling any punches. He's doing this because he knows that the love of God is what changes hearts. He knows that that this is what God desires in relationship with us. So he introduces us to God who is love, but he first introduces God as light. And I think this is so cool. We've talked about this idea of light. You know, I worked in the construction field for 20 some plus years, maybe 25 years. And when we go to these new builds, a lot of times they didn't have lights. They might have had power ran to them. Usually the electrician would put in just, a, you know, the panel with maybe a, a couple plugs or something. Um, sometimes if you're, you know, lucky enough, you get there and they would run these lines. I think it's called Romex. Is it still Romex? They'd run the Romex lines out and they would have uh, in between these lines, they'd have these little these lights, they look like little uh, yellow cages. Remember those, Bruce? And it would just have it would just this cheap little receptacle area where you could put a light in, and so they'd string those through the house. But most of the time, they wouldn't have that. They would have maybe just a couple plugs, and so we'd have to figure out, okay, uh, we were painters, and we would spray these things, and we'd be like, okay, we have enough power for that, but we also need light because sometimes we start at 5 in the morning or we'd be working late at night. But they had these things called halogen lights. Is anyone familiar with these work lights? We had, yeah, Mark, you know what I'm talking about. 
Now, the LEDs are pretty cool now because they're, they're just about as bright, but they don't get hot. Remember how hot those things would get? You'd be like, oh, and you might say some things because you're a construction worker when you burn yourself because it's different over there, but they'd be so hot you don't want to bump into them. Now, we had several of these lights. Now, sometimes they'd be on just little stands or they might have like these little um, tripod stands. We had actually a couple that had these big tripod stands, and they had two. Now, think about this. These are 500-watt lights. So you have like 1,000 watts of light. And one time, we were kind of goofing, and we were like, check this out. We had all these extension cords and light. We plugged every light we had in, and we're like, we can light up a football field right now. That's how bright it was. Now, another thing that we would do is when we do repaints or we're doing touch-ups, you know, the natural eye, and even just with normal incandescent lighting or light coming in from, you know, the sun or the day, daytime, you, you could see certain imperfections. But when you would plug this light in and you would shine it at an angle down the wall, you'd see every imperfection, every dent, every ding. Why? So you could touch it up, you could skim it, you spackle it, you know, they call it, and you can get those things fixed. That's what light does. And so, when I, when I look at this comparison that he says about God, that God is light and there's no trace of darkness in him, for me at least, and for maybe others, it can be kind of disheartening when you experience light because I'm thinking, uh-oh, uh, God is light, absolute light. Well, I know this as a painter, that light exposes all imperfection. And sometimes it would hurt when I'd turn around or someone would, you know, move it. And I'd be like, whoa, that's my eyes, man. You almost go blind from the light. That light was powerful. It could hurt the eyes. It, it could expose every single imperfection. And I'm thinking, so what does that mean about me? If God's light, that means that he exposes all my imperfections. And so it was in those moments, I would read the scriptures and be like, man, I, I better get it together. I need to try harder. I need to jump the hurdles higher. I need to make sure I'm getting totally through the hoops because this is what I felt the Christian life was about. Because God is light. And there's no trace of darkness in him. That means he's pure and righteous. We could also say that he's the ultimate revelation of all things. You know, when you read uh, light in the New Testament, many times it refers to revelation or understanding Whereas darkness may, many times refers to it as ignorance or misunderstanding. Listen, he's perfect. There's no darkness in him. So on one side, it could seem as if this light, this extreme light, could hurt us or expose us. But listen to me. Here's the truth. You don't have to be afraid of this light. You don't have to be afraid of this light. God is not in the shaming business. Listen, guilt and shame are not from the Lord. I know that's hard for us to hear. Maybe you grew up in a denomination or with a theology or idea that, that God is, he can barely stand to even look at you. And thank God that Jesus is there because he can put his Jesus glasses on and then he's like, okay, I can kind of look at you now. That's not how God is. Listen, anyone who's like that with their children that's an abusive father. Listen, God does not see us as putrid. He doesn't see us as these disgusting human beings that he can barely be with. See, the love of God and the light of God, they might expose imperfection, but even in the midst of that, God loves you unconditionally and completely and wholly. And, and what I want to get to today and I'm getting kind of ahead of myself, we have to begin to see that the imperfections that we see, God sees it as false ideas, as wrong mindset. We're going to get into this a little bit. But the thing that's really beautiful is that this light doesn't manipulate. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't abuse or condemn. It isn't put in your face to shame you. And so John here, he marries the character of God. He says, God is light and God is love. And it made me realize something. Like I said before, God sees me for, for who I am. Now, when I say that, I'm thinking of all the imperfections. But that's not how God views you. See, the faith of God sees things that are not as though they were. 
God knows who you are in your heart of hearts, but maybe you don't. And so what's the reflection? See, here's the thing we have to realize is that our actions are simply a reflection of who we think we are. Did you catch that? Our actions are simply a reflection of who we think we are. But think about this. God sees you. He knows you. Imperfections, wrong thinking and all, and he loves us completely. Let me say this. You'll never meet a person like this because humans on their best day can't love like this. I know because I'm a human. I'd be a human. How about you? Don't you wish you could love like this? I do think I'm getting closer to it, but perfectly, that's God. And God loves you and he sees you like this. That's good news to me. That's what the good news is all about. So basically, it breaks down to this. How do you view God? How do you view your life? And do you have truth and understanding of these things? And so I believe that it's this journey where, you know, we're constantly changing our mind. What, what, is, what does the Apostle Paul say? That we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So there has to be a mind change. And sometimes... You know, I'll go out on a limb and say this. Sometimes it's changing your belief systems. Maybe stuff that you've been taught as a small child, and it's saying, this just doesn't work with who, what I'm experiencing of God and who God is. And I know that's scary territory sometimes to some of us because it's like, I don't know if I can let that go. What will they say? <laughs> it's usually what it is. Because sometimes denominations will literally kick you out of the denomination because you don't believe exactly like them. Listen, that's not kingdom. That's not kingdom. And so I want to look again here. I love this in the message translation, verses 6 and 7. It says, if we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. See, here's the thing. You can only live out what you know and understand. Does that make sense? And so it's important that we have a knowing, we have an understanding. Even that, that word koinonia is a close, intimate relationship. This is how we begin to know not just who God is, but who we are. He goes on to say, but if we walk in the light, say, I walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another. Say, we're connected. Can you see that? We're connected. Look at this. As the sacrifice blood of Jesus, God's son purges all our sins. Now, here's what we need to do. I set this up earlier because we need context here. Everything that John is saying here, he's not, how do I say this? This isn't for the 21st century to make gospel messages out of, although we can. He's speaking to a particular group of people who are dealing with false teaching. So he has to spell some things out because he has to refute what's been infiltrating into the churches, namely Gnosticism, okay? They were saying things like Jesus was not in the flesh. There was no way Jesus was in the flesh. Why? Because they were saying that the flesh is bad. If the flesh is bad, there's no way that, that God would inhabit the flesh, but here's what I see through the teachings of Jesus and even the incarnation is that God inhabiting human flesh was saying human flesh is okay. Now, I know you're like, well, but doesn't the Bible say to walk according to the spirit, not the flesh? Yes, it's referring to a way of thinking. It's a way of doing. But our physical flesh is not bad. Why? God made it from the dust of the ground. It's who we are. We're made in his image and in his likeness. That's beautiful. And so for me, for, for the divine to clothe themselves in human skin is to say that our human skin's okay. But yet Gnosticism was saying Jesus never actually showed up, God in flesh, so they denied the incarnation. They also say it said that sin didn't exist. It wasn't real. <laughs> and they believe that true salvation comes from having more knowledge. So it was the idea that knowledge was more important than real relationship. Let's put it this way. When he says walking in the light, we could say that equals relationship, understanding, revelation, walking in salvation. Walking in darkness, which he was referring to this Gnostic teaching, was no relationship, misunderstanding, ignorance, not experiencing salvation. 
Because how many know that salvation is not a one and done? It's not a prayer you pray to go somewhere in the future, right? The Greek word we all know is preservation, safety, healing, wholeness, deliverance. It's something that we work out. It's already been worked in. It's beautiful. And so I want to pick up here in verse 8 through 10. This is, this is really what I want to center for the next maybe 10 minutes, okay? Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Now stop for a minute. Why would he say that? Because the Gnostics were saying that sin didn't exist. He's not talking to believers who know who they are. He's basically addressing false teaching. He's saying, listen, if we say we have no sin because it doesn't exist, we deceive ourselves and there is no truth in us. You notice he didn't say Christ isn't in you anymore. He says the truth isn't in you. Why? Because you're not seeing things right. Verse 9, this is the biggie. This is the one I used every night. But if we confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our wrongdoing. If we say that we have not sinned, again, who is he addressing? Gnostics, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So verse 8, he's dealing with this Gnosticism. They were saying that there's no sin, sin was an illusion. This was a false teaching that Grandpa John had to address. He had to refute. Verse 9, say verse 9. This is the biggie. And Pete used this last week, and it was wonderful how it all wrapped in. But I want to dig into this a little bit deeper. Verse 9. I believe it's one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. And so there's two schools of thought when it comes to 1 John 1, 9. Number one, it's a bar of soap. It's what we use to clean ourselves up to be okay with God again. And listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be condescending because this is what I believe for years. This verse was put there for me. This is a believer's verse, man. When I screw up, I can, I can confess my sins, and God says, what's that? All right, you confessed them. I will forgive you now, and now you're forgiven. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm just saying this is what I thought. I thought, man, this is my bar of soap. So every night I would have my spiritual bar of soap right there. I'd grab it off, off my nightstand. It was my Bible, 1 John 1, 9, and I would use that every night to clean up. But the second way we can view this is it's really the gospel in a nutshell. Listen to this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me ask you a question. Who is faithful in this verse? What? Are you sure? Let me read it again. If we confess our sins, he, oh, you're right, Bruce. He is faithful and righteous to forgive. Well, so much for good works earning us salvation, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Let me say this. It's not my faithfulness, but his faithfulness that forgives my sins and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. So already we can see something going on here. And we're going to dig in here to the, the original language. We can already see something going on because it's so easy to go, okay, if I do this, then God will do that. It's called transactional. And much of the gospel these days is preached as transactional. You do something for God, and God will do something for you. Well, according to Jesus and the apostles, Jesus has already done everything. It is finished. We freely receive it. Am I messing with your head yet? It's not my faithfulness, it's his faithfulness that forgives my sins and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Why is this important to see? It's God who makes me right, not myself. My job is to believe. I want us to catch this. Your job is simply to believe. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right. God makes you right. Why? Because he loves you. I've said this Maybe not a million times. I know that's just, you know. But Jesus was forgiving people all through his ministry before the cross, and many of them didn't even ask for it. I mean, people come to you, hey, I, I need to be healed. I need this or that. And you're like, your sins are forgiven you. Did you not hear the question? Did you not hear uh, what I was asking you, Jesus? No, no, I heard you, but I'm love, and this is what love does. I forgive you. You're released. Be free. Be who you're supposed to be. Let those things go. 
Even the woman who was caught in the very act, I think it's so funny that that's, we know it's the very act. Who caught her in the very act? Who was peeking in the windows? That's what I want to know. She was caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus, I mean, the law was, we're going to cast some stones. And Jesus is just so brilliant. So brilliant. He says, hey, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Well, then they all started walking away because they're like, well, I can't. If I throw a stone, I'm trying to say I'm perfect. That's not going to work, right? But then what does he say to? He says, he says, rise, go away, sin no more. And we're like, yeah, Jesus had to say that. He had to make sure. She had to know that she better not do that act anymore. No, no, no. He was saying, stop walking in a false identity. That's not who you are. See, that's why understanding what this sin means, that word hamartia, it means to live on a false identity. Listen, if your, if your actions are a reflection of who you think you are and those actions don't line up with what it should look like as a child of God, it's because you don't know who you are. It's simple. I know. It's not, Pastor. No, but it is simple. We have to believe this. I, my job is to believe so what I want to do is I want to read this, 1 John 9, out of the Mirror Bible. This is a beautiful translation of the original language. Look at this. It says, our conversation takes on a brand new dynamic. Stop there. Now, this is how he translates if we confess our sin. Listen to this. Our conversation takes on a brand new dynamic when we take sides with what God believes about us. What? Did any pressure just get let off? I know this is scary territory because, I mean, I've talked to pastors, and they're like, dude, dude, I hear what you're saying, and, and I want to believe that, but, man, we tell the congregation that they're just going to go crazy sinning. And I usually go, listen, man, I don't have to give people a license to sin. If they see themselves as distant and dirty and not good enough and worthless, what's the reflection going to look like? So I want to encourage people that they are worthy and close and clean and righteous and acceptable and pleasing. This isn't arrogance. This is how God sees us. And when you do, guess what? The reflection looks different. Our conversation takes on a brand new dynamic when we take sides with what God believes about us. So, say so. Get ready to get blessed up. This is so good. Instead of telling God about the detail of your sin, you remind yourself about the detail of your redemption. Come on. I think I got a couple Holy Ghost goosebumps. That's powerful to me. Because what was I doing when I was younger and when I felt I was telling God the detail of my sin rather than the detail of my redemption? Why? I was sin conscious rather than Savior conscious. And so it became all about me. But that's not the kingdom. That's the world's way of thinking. That's the world system. It's all about me, me, me. Look at this. God doesn't need the information you do. How many times have I said that prayer isn't for God? Like, God's like, man, I'm so weak. Why? People aren't praying to me. No, no, no. Prayer is for you. It's for you to have a heart-to-heart with God, even in the hard times. Even in the hard times. And sometimes we, we get so religious about it that we can't just be open and honest about how we feel. When I lost my brother, I had some words with God. I know that God didn't take him. We're in church. I was really frustrated. And I said some words that probably would make people leave. You can't be a pastor if you talk like that. I had words with God. I wasn't happy. I was hurting. It wasn't fair. But thank God that I've had this shift in my thinking so that I could realize that God loves me right where I am. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what I feel, talk to God. Why? Get it off your chest. Cast your care on him because he cares for you. But see, what happened in that moment when I could be real with God is it began this connection 
where I could then receive healing. And I still am, right? Loss isn't easy. He says, God doesn't need the information. You do. God's faithfulness and righteousness is the basis of our forgiveness and cleansing from every, look at this, distortion. See, sin is a distortion. You're not seeing yourself right. If you don't see yourself right, then the reflection is going to reflect that. Does that make sense? Jesus removed every bit of condemning evidence against us. We don't have to live in condemnation ever again, ever again. But pastor, what about when I mess up? Well, it's okay to feel sorry about that. It's okay to go, wow, that's not what it's about. That's not who I am. But listen, you being sorry is not what forgives you. I'm just, I'm just saying, God forgives you because he's already forgiven you. It's a done deal. Listen, God knows your life from beginning to the end. It's not like you mess up and he's like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Man, I hope he confesses it to me soon. I'm just saying. So let me just deal with this for just the next few minutes and we're going to close. The word traditionally translated confession is the word hama legeo. Say hama legeo. comes from two words. The word hamo, which means the same, and legeo, which means to speak. In other words, listen to this. Confession is saying what God says about us. See, I had it all wrong. I didn't know. It was good intentions. I want to make sure that everything's, everything is right. And so, you know, I want to make sure I confess every sin because that's what I thought confession was. It's telling on myself. But according to the ancient language, it literally means to say what God says about me. Now, the word translated forgiveness is the word aphiomi. Say aphiomi. It comes from the word apo, which means away from, and hiami, which means I am. So forgiveness, in essence, is a restoring to your true I amness. He wants to remove that. Listen, the injury, the, the insult, the shame, the hostility, the guilt, it no longer defines you as an individual. That's not who you are. And so forgiveness is saying, I'm going to remove you from that situation of seeing yourself in a way that you truly aren't and put you back to who you truly are. I want to restore to you your true identity in me, your authentic identity, as Tom would say, in me. So if that's true, who does God say we are? I say it every week. You're righteous. You're acceptable. Close your eyes for a minute. I want you to hear this, and I want you to picture, I'm not God, I get it, but picture God speaking to you. You are righteous. You are acceptable. You are pleasing to me. You are holy. I have made you whole. You are my dearly loved child. That's who you are. Now open your eyes. Did you receive that? It's, it's hard to receive. And a lot of times it's hard to receive true love because we don't even love ourselves. And sometimes religion will, will even say, hey, 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 be careful. You can't love yourself. Um, if you don't love yourself, you can't love others. Come on. So the question is, what are you saying about yourself? We could say it like this. What is your confession? What is your confession? Are you saying the same thing that God says about you? You know, if you study out the early church, when they talked about sin, it's really interesting because in the 21st century, when we think of sin, we think of sinner, right? We think of someone who sins. In the early church, they saw sin as a disease, a dis-ease, a disease that Jesus conquered. Uh, Jesus destroyed sin's power in our lives. So the only way that sin has power is if we give the power back. It's already been destroyed, right? But they would see it as a disease. So rather than thinking of sin as what we do or as our actions, what if we pictured it as a disease? Let me give you an example. 
I would say that just about every single person in this room has a friend or family member who has gone through cancer. Now, we all have a pretty, um, pretty harsh thought about cancer, don't we? I mean, you know, for some people, it puts them through just heck in their life. I mean, through chemotherapy and, and, and radiation and, you know, different things in their life. It, it brings fear. It brings anxiety. And sometimes it takes them completely out. And so we've all dealt with it. We have a sediment about cancer, don't we? I can't say it because I'm at church, but have you seen the bumper stickers? Right? We, we, all, we could say we all probably feel that way about cancer. Now, let me ask you this. At any moment when a friend or a loved one was going through cancer, at any moment, did you hate them for having cancer? Did you hate the person? I mean, your answer should be no. If it's yes, we need to pray for you and get you some therapy. Because we shouldn't hate people because they have a disease. But we certainly hate that disease, don't we? See, God hates sin because it's a disease that hurts his children. It will work its way in to such a place that we see ourselves in ways that we truly aren't. And again, there's a reflection. If you look at your life, you're like, man, I I suffer with an addiction. I, I suffer with this. I seem to always do this or that. There's something inside the heart of hearts that we don't see right about ourselves. That's what it really comes down to. Now, I'm not saying that we can't go get help. For some of us, join a support group, get some therapy. Come on, God has gifted people to help us in life. It's absolutely beautiful. The power of prayer, surround people. You know, have people surround you in those moments uh, when you're in need and, and, and you feel like you're going off the rails. That's, that's beautiful. Surround yourself with people who, who love you. But why would we say that God hates people? Because I know people say, well, he doesn't hate the sinner. He hates the sin. But what if God didn't even see them as sinners? What if he saw them as children that he loved who were struggling with the disease that Jesus came to take away, that Jesus came to heal? See, the cure for sinning, that reflection, the cure for walking out false identity in our life is fellowship with your father. It's continually saying or reminding yourself of what God says about you. And in doing so, guess what happens? You awaken to your true identity. You realize that you desire different things now. Like Pete would say, you realize you're a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent. Say I'm a hundred percent. Come on in Christ. You're a hundred percent. That's, that's who you are. Listen, you've already been forgiven in Christ, so believe that and begin to walk out the truth of who you are, forgiven, loved, and accepted as a child of God. Come on, that's who you are. Father desires relationship with you. I believe that once we accept that, we begin to walk in light and love, and that's exactly where God wants you to be. Say, that's where God wants me to be. I accept your love. I accept your light. Will you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. I don't know where I'd be today without your love. And really without experiencing your love and and, and accepting that I'm loved by you. It's always been there. I mean, it's a gift. Everything's a gift. Life is a gift. Faith is a gift. Love is a gift. Your light is a gift. That's why I believe that Jesus and the apostles could start almost every prayer with, with thank God. They had thankful hearts. I pray that that would be revealed into our hearts this morning. If we don't know anything else, we just have to know that we are completely and utterly loved. And there's nothing that can change that. A misstep, a sin, a stumble, it doesn't change your love for us. And so when we're in those moments, as believers, it's okay to be sorry. 
It's okay to feel godly remorse. I think that's a natural outflow. Because God, we all know, when we do something that runs across and against the grain of who we are, we just know it. We don't need someone to beat us over the head with Bible verses and say, you are sinning, you, yeah, 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 we know. We, we know that we're operating outside of our true identity. That's not what we need. We need your light and your love. And what happens is that light will expose the imperfect thinking. Maybe the false ideas that we have about ourselves false ideas we have about you or even others. It all kind of trickles downhill. But it's in those moments we can say, you know what? I'm truly sorry, but my being sorry doesn't give me forgiveness. You've already forgiven me. So thank you, Holy Spirit. And in this moment, this is a teachable moment where I can look back. Why did I make the decision? Oh, because I thought this about myself. I felt less than in this situation. Oh, I had a false identity. I had an identity crisis in that moment, and so I made that decision, knowing full well that we're forgiven and loved. That's what changes our hearts. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I accept your love. I accept your forgiveness. You've given it freely, but I only benefit if I receive it. It's mine. I'm 100% wall-to-wall God because you reside in me. Help me, Holy Spirit, to walk that out, to live out of my true identity and be everything that you've created me to be. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.